welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Well, good morning. Let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We'll continue with Paul's prayer. And this morning we're looking specifically at verse 18. And let's read together from verses 18 and 19. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would uh, just turn our hearts uh, this morning, Lord, to your word, that we might be able to further understand and know you better. I pray, Father, that as we look at Paul's prayer for the believers at Ephesus and that area, and by extension to us, Lord, that we might grow in our understanding, that we might uh, be able to know you better, know what you've done for us, in your plan. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we continue looking at uh, Paul's prayer, we've seen that uh, he would uh, pray for us that we would have wisdom and insight, which comes from the Holy Spirit, so that we would be able to grow in our knowledge of God. And he prays it in three specific areas. Number one, the hope of his calling. Number two, the riches of his inheritance. And number three, the greatness of his power. The focus of these requests is that about what God has done. It's his calling, his inheritance, his power, that which he has done and is doing for us. And in the last message, we looked at the first request in verse 18 that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, or literally the hope of his calling. When Paul talks about the hope of his calling, he's speaking of the confidence we have in a future with the Lord forever. Uh, This confidence is, is not because of us, but because of him who has promised. And We saw that when hope is used to refer to what God has done or or what he has promised, there is always an absolute certainty about what is hoped for because God is faithful to his word. Well, before we move on to the second thing that Paul prays for, I want you to think about this fact, that God helps us to have a confident hope in two ways. First of all, subjectively, uh, through the work of of the Spirit. We saw earlier, uh, back in verse 14, that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So the Spirit of God is given unto us uh, as a guarantee, an assurance of what God is going to accomplish and finish. Also in Romans 8, verse 16, Paul writes there, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 
And so we see this, this subjective assurance, confidence that we have by the working of the Spirit of God in our hearts and our lives. But there's also an objective confidence or assurance that we have. And that is through the testimony of Scripture and the transformation in our own lives that is, is visible and evident to be seen. We have the promise of the Father. We have the working of the Spirit to produce spiritual fruit in our lives. And Jesus Christ, the Son, who died for us and has gone before us and anchored our hope to the very throne room of God. Well, the second fact that Paul prays for is that we would know, verse 18, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, or the riches of his inheritance. We saw earlier, back in verse 11 through 14, the emphasis on our inheritance, what God has planned and prepared for us. But here in verse 18, he's talking about God's inheritance, which is us, the saints. Now, that's an amazing thought. And as I thought about this fact, uh, questions started coming to my mind. How are we an inheritance to him? How has he invested in us? How, how are we a rich inheritance? And what does it mean that we are a glorious inheritance to him? Well, you may have other similar questions as you think about this truth. So let us look at uh, these questions and think about what Paul is saying. He says, verse, 13, verse 18, that you may know what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Think about it. How is it possible for God, who owns everything, to inherit something? Well, in a, in a general sense, this word inheritance means to receive as one's own or to obtain. We normally think of inheritance as something given or received as a gift. But when used to refer to God's inheritance, it is something that he has provided for himself. And in this case, the saints. Under the new covenant, this dispensation that we're in of the church, we belong to him because he has purchased us by the blood of Christ. And we and he will receive us unto himself as his own inheritance. You can go back in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 7. And there Moses admonishes the people of Israel before they, they went into the promised land to, to, to inherit it and he says that they are to be a holy people. In other words, they're, they're separated from the pagan people of Canaan and their idols unto God. He writes in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6 through 8, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the people's who are on the face of the earth. Notice that phrase there that he uses, uh, a people for his treasured possession. We belong 
uh, as the children of Israel did to the Lord as his possession. It goes on to say, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you and and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out of a, out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery and from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Well, under the new covenant, the church does not become a new Israel. God will still accomplish his plan for the nation of Israel in the millennial kingdom, but the church, both Jews and Gentiles, is the people of God. And this dispensation to accomplish his purposes. And in that sense, we share some of the same purposes of God as did Israel under the Old Testament. Notice in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, and Paul there will admonish the church to be holy. And in doing so, he uses uh, some of the same language that Moses did. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Again, you see this emphasis on a people who are precious or a treasured possession to the Lord. In our text in Ephesians 1, verse 18, Paul uses the word riches, the riches of his glorious inheritance. Well, before we leave 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, the last part of that verse gives us a purpose statement for the church. He says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, believers are, are not only to proclaim his virtues by our witness, but by our very existence. We are a demonstration of the grace and power of God. We are to display or proclaim him now. But how much more when we are glorified in, in his presence Will, be, will we be a demonstration of his grace and his power? The whole universe will praise him for what he has accomplished. This truth begs the question, is your life, is my life, a proclamation of the excellencies or the, the virtues of God? In 2 Peter, later, Peter writes in chapter 1, from verse 3, and he says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence. There's that same word again, the excellence or virtues. He says, He's called us to His own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his 
precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of of sinful desire. For this very reason, in other words, because we have been redeemed, we've, we've been We've been purchased and and we've been made partakers uh, of this divine nature, as he calls it, as we we become children of God and will be glorified together with him one day. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement or add to your faith with virtue. This is the same word was used earlier the word excellence, this word virtue. He says, add to your faith virtue and virtue into virtue with knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly, brotherly affection with love. Peter's saying that we don't have to wait until we get to heaven to proclaim the excellencies or virtues of God. By his grace and power, we are every day a living demonstration of God's grace and power in our lives. In this life, we falter in our effort to proclaim the excellencies of God. But in that day, we will be a glorious inheritance which perfectly demonstrates the riches of his grace. There's a note from the Bible Knowledge Commentary that says, At the time of the resurrection of believers, saints are those set apart by God to God. And God will inherit those whom he has purchased at a great price according to the riches of his grace. It goes on to say, because of the glorious grace, verse 6, of the glorious Father, verse 17, he will receive his glorious inheritance. End of quote. Even after understanding the facts of God's plan for us, it is difficult to fathom the depth of the mercy, love, and grace of God toward us, that he would consider us a rich and glorious inheritance. Well, some people may doubt the value of setting our minds on what God has planned for us, saying that you can be so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good. Well, I've never run across anyone like that that have so set their mind on the things of God in heaven that uh, they're no good on earth. In fact, just the opposite is true. Because God wants us to know what he has planned for us. Scripture repeatedly admonishes us to think about where we are going and what God has planned for us so that it will impact how we are living now, where we are. I watched a movie about the first astronauts in the U.S. space program. There there were a little over 100 men who were chosen as potential candidates for the program. And they they sent them all for 
uh, two weeks to an initial testing program. And at the end of that two weeks, John Glenn joined one of the other men as they stood looking up into the heavens at the stars. And John said something about the vast number of the stars in comparison to the sand on all the beaches all over the world. And the other man says, you know, for two weeks, we've all been here together and we've, we're all wanting to, to get into this space program and to go into space, but you're the first one to say anything about space. John Glenn says, well, that's where I'm going. Paul says, I want you to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints is where we are going. It is what God has called us to. And God wants us to, to understand and to know what he has planned for us. Let me close with 1 John chapter 3 and verses 2 and 3, where John writes, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Amen.